This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Hi guys, and welcome to a new episode of Uni Therapy Podcast. My name is Kat, and I am the host. If you are new to Uni Therapy and you're wondering what Couch Talks is, it is the special bonus episode of Uni Therapy where I answer questions that you guys send to me at Catherine at UniTherapyPodcast.com. Now, before we get started, a quick reminder that although this is a podcast that is hosted by a therapist and I am answering your questions specifically today, uh, this podcast does not ever try to replace therapy. It cannot be a substitute for therapy, although it might help you in whatever it is that you're working on in therapy. It might lead you to therapy. Now, Couch Talks, I answer questions that you guys send in, and this day is a little bit different because... I'm going to take one email question I got and start with that and let it kind of be like a channel through these other questions. And they're all centered around questions that have to do with becoming a therapist. So I know that a lot of y'all listening are aspiring therapists, are contemplating becoming a therapist, are early therapists, maybe some are older therapists, or in school. And so I get a lot of questions about just what it's like to be a therapist, but also what it takes in advice for those who are thinking about it or in the beginning stages of their process. So I'm going to start with this question that was an email, and then I have seven other questions that hopefully we can get to most of them. And if not, we'll do a part two one day. So the email I got was this. Hey Kat, I'm currently considering a career change to psychology. It would mean leaving my stable job to go back to school to qualify as a therapist. While money has never been the biggest factor in my career choices, it is more of a concern now that I'm in my late 20s and trying to build a foundation for the future. 
I'm struggling to get a real sense of what therapists in different roles and settings earn and what the long-term earning potential is in this field. Can you speak to the financial practicalities of the career path and what aspiring therapists should know? Okay. So what I don't really want to do today is like tell you the income and medium incomes of um, different roles because one is a different everywhere you live. But what I will tell you is being a therapist and going into this field is not a uh, get rich quick road. However, you can earn a good stable living. And that also has to do with what you're interested in and what you want to actually do as a therapist or just a mental health professional. You can work in community centers, you can work in nonprofits, you can work in treatment centers, you can work in private treatment centers, you can um, have a private practice, you can be a clinical director, you can be a program director. There's a ton of things that you can do. And you're going to earn a different salary depending on what role you take. So the sad thing is when it comes to treatment centers, that's where I got my start. The people that work on the business side of the treatment center are going to make more than the therapists, which is interesting because we are a pivotal part of the program. But that also changes with experience. And if you have your license and if you have expertise or if you have specialties or you have special trainings or certifications, you can earn more. And so like any job, you might start at the bottom and it takes time to work your way up. And I know going back to school, it kind of feels like you're backtracking, but future referenced, you will be able to earn what I believe is a good salary that can provide you a nice life. Now, when it comes to private practice, that's when things really change because there's no governing body saying how much a therapist can charge for a session. And depending on where you live, you're going to charge differently depending on the socioeconomical stature of the community that you're in. That being said, that is a point of contention for a lot of therapists because I'm currently seeing a lot of what I see to be just like ridiculously overcharging just because people will pay it. And I've seen a lot of very early, even non-licensed therapists charging kind of an insane amount of money for a session. And while you get to do that and people are willing to pay for it, I think there's an ethical part there that we also have to look at as, yeah, I get to set my rate and say what I'm worth, but I also have to be reasonable with that. So also in private practice, you get to choose how much you work and it takes a while to build a referral network and to get a full caseload. So and I talk about this later, I'm going to talk about this later, but it took me almost a year and a half to build a full caseload. And I was charging less when I started than I am now. So just like any job, hopefully you start to get a raise and you make more money as you go and you get more established and more efficient and proficient. My salary changes and will probably continue to change with that. So, I mean, if I chose to only see 10 clients a week, I probably wouldn't make a great income that I felt very comfortable in. But if I'm seeing 20 to 25, that's doubling that. So you have to think about how much do I work? And I think people get this confused. When I see 20 clients a week, I'm not just doing 20 hours of work because it takes a lot more than just the clinical hour with the client to do the job. There's so much more to just like the admin part of the job. And also there's so much more 
like non-build hours that you're actually doing work for that client, whether that's research or that is talking to different people in that client's um, network of providers. If that's getting some supervision on a client you need help with, if that's going to a training, if that's reading a book, there's a lot to it. So didn't really answer that question directly, but it is a nice segue to more questions about things that you guys want to know about becoming a therapist. So let's go down the line that I have. I took the most asked questions that I've had in my email. And then also I asked you guys on Instagram, on Uni Therapy Podcast Instagram to put in your questions. And these are the ones that pop up the most. And again, if we don't get to all of these, we can do a part two. And if you have more, we can also do a part two. So one of the questions I get a lot is, how do you pick a school and what should I look for in a counseling program? And this depends on what license you want to pursue, but I will say it is important to make sure your program is accredited no matter what. So like I said before, you can be a social worker, you can be an MFT, you can be a LPC. Those are all different licenses that you would go to a different program for. I went to a human development counseling program. People go to marriage and family therapy programs. There's also um, masters of social work programs. They all focus on different things where my program focused a lot on human development and the lifespan and just the individual development of a client. A marriage and family therapy program is going to focus more on systems in the family system and how we heal through systems and all of that. And a social work program is going to probably focus more on a macro level, the systems of communities and all of that, where I didn't get much of that at all in my program. But a social work program might not get as much individualized, individual lifespan stuff. So what school you should go for, it's first, well, what do I want to focus on? I can do the same thing with all of these, but what do I actually want to focus on when it comes to how I want to learn how to work with a client? And then make sure it's accredited. If your program's not accredited, that means that after you graduate, you might have to still take extra courses to have everything that you need to actually apply to get your license. I know before I got to my program and it was an accredited program, you had to go back and take six more credit hours before you could get your license after you graduated with your degree. It's very confusing. The other thing I would say, once you like kind of narrow down the schools that you might want to go to, talk to other students that are in the program currently and students that have been there in the past and ask what they liked and didn't like and take them seriously. One thing I would say is the bigger the name of the school doesn't mean the better of the program. Sometimes smaller programs might have better student faculty connection and and that might be a big thing that you want to be able to actually really feel like you can develop a relationship with your instructors and ask them questions and dig deep and you might want a smaller program so you can have more individualized learning in your program. So I would definitely ask students and listen to them and take them seriously because that's one thing I didn't really do I was like oh I got into Vanderbilt so I'm just obviously going to go there although it didn't really go like that because I was going to go to Virginia Tech and then I got an assistantship for Vanderbilt so then I went there because it was cheaper although it still was not by any means cheap and I didn't really think much about oh what did the students say about these programs versus this name is better than this name and that's something that I, I, in a second life, would go back and pay more attention to. 
The other thing I would look at that I would have never known to look for is are there opportunities for internships and practicums around the school that you're going to? So the meat of my learning of, of how to become a therapist and, and, and really do all the actual therapeutic work was in my internship. You learn the stuff, you learn the theories, you learn information in class, but to really put it to practice, you, you learn it in your internship. So you want to make sure that there are places in wherever it is that you're going to school that are going to offer you a really fruitful experience. I loved going to a treatment center because I got so much information. I got so many experiences. I got group therapy. I got adventure therapy. I got to talk to all different kinds of practitioners. I had a lot of supervision. I got to sit in on groups. I got to sit on individual sessions. I got to do tons and tons and tons of intakes with different kinds of clients, males, females, drugs and alcohol, trauma, eating disorders. I mean, you name it. I got to touch it all in my internship in it was really awesome. And they also taught me a lot about note taking and, and being diligent in that and experiential therapy. It was really awesome. So that's something I would also look at. If you have any idea, you don't need to, but if you do have any idea of what you might want to do as a therapist, make sure that there's going to be an opportunity for you to be able to learn and practice that where you're going to school. Hey guys, Kat here, and I have something very important to talk to you guys about. Now, I know you're used to hearing me talk about therapy and how important it can be for you and how transformative it can be for you in your life. But if you're somebody who's tried therapy and it just hasn't done the trick, or you just need a little extra boost, I think I've found the next best thing. And the next best thing might just be Cozy Earth and their bamboo sheets and their bamboo pajamas. It feels like you are stepping into a buttery, cozy, warm, and cool hug all at the same time. And that's just their pajamas. Don't even get me started on their sheets. As soon as I touched them, I said, okay, we're changing the sheets right now. And the bonus is they come in this really cute travel tote so you can take your sheets with you wherever you go. Elevate your summer getaway with Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding and loungewear, ensuring the comfort of home wherever you roam. We're all in luck because you can discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code UNEED at checkout to get 35% off. Yes, 35% off. And let them know that we sent you Unique Therapy after you check out. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. 
Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. So, second question. How long does it take to start your own practice? So, what I want people to know is that as a therapist, the end-all be-all is not to have a private practice for everybody. That's something a lot of people like, and it's where my life has taken me so far. But there are a lot of opportunities that are really awesome, and a lot of people love doing that aren't in private practice. I think sometimes it's like that becomes like the end goal for everybody, and I just want you guys to know that like it doesn't have to be your end goal by any means. However, we are going to talk about this because you guys talk about it a lot and ask about it a lot. And the answer is that it, it depends. I can only give you my experience and then offer my advice for my experience. I do think people tend to want to rush this experience. So I see a lot of people just like wanting to like graduate and get out there and start a private practice as fast as they can. And there might be pros to that, but I also think there's a lot of cons to that when it comes to actually becoming and developing your your therapeutic skills and, and learning as much as you can. Because once you're in private practice, you're really working by yourself. You're in sessions by yourself. You're not doing a lot with other practitioners, even if there are other clinicians in your building. Like I'm not doing therapy with them. And I'm also, unless I'm scheduling it, I'm not going out of my way to do a lot of consultation and, and trainings and stuff like that. Because my day to day is individual clients. The other thing is you can't have a private practice. This is for LPC. So I am a licensed professional counselor. I can't speak to MFTs or social workers or clinical psychologists because that's not my route. But you can't have a private practice if you're not licensed. And you can only have a private practice if you have a temp license, if you're working in a building where somebody who is licensed is there 20 hours a week. I know it's confusing. So that also limits you. But the biggest issue with this is that when you are in private practice, you're not gaining a lot of experience. And I just want to really kind of nail that down. Make sure you guys hear that, that I would really like allow yourself to soak up experiences, soak up learning in the beginning because you don't get to go back and be a new therapist after you've been a therapist for 15 years. I mean, you can go back and learn, but this is a really cool time where you just get to be new and excited about learning stuff and soak things in and look forward to what's ahead of you versus trying to get to what's ahead of you before it's really time to get there. Like I said, I worked in a treatment center for three years, maybe more than that. And I got so much different experience there, like so much. And for example, we had a two hour treatment team meeting every single week where I was with at least two other therapists in the room, my program director, oftentimes the clinical director, oftentimes the medical director, a psych nurse practitioner, every time a dietitian, a licensed dietitian. And there was so much that I learned from being in that room for two hours every week because we would go through every client that we had and we would all talk about them and really consult together. And I would learn about medications. I would learn about uh, nutrition. That's how I learned a lot of what I learned about like dietitians and what's really helped me become knowledgeable when it comes to eating disorders because I sat with these dietitians. I mean, their office was across the hall from mine and I got to continuously have conversations, ask questions and learn with them. And I wish I still had that. That's something that I am so grateful for. And now I might talk to one of my clients 
doctors maybe once every six months. And I don't think they're going to be giving me 20 to 30 minutes to really talk to them every week. And that's something, and they're not going to be like teaching me things on the phone. It's more like consultation. And what do you think about this and this and that and whatever. So it's just very different. So I will say that there's my soapbox there. The other thing about private practice and what can speed it up or slow it down, you can work in a group practice and build through a established practice and then go out on your own eventually. If you just go out on your own, that's really tough because if you don't have connections and networking in the area that you're in, you're starting from scratch and a lot of your work is going to be just networking, getting your name out there and building a client load. And that can take a long time. Like I said, it took me a year and a half to get a full caseload where I felt like I was consistently seeing the amount of clients I wanted to see every week. Now, I have a a group practice now. And so when I bring somebody on, it's not going to take that long. However, it's not their private practice. Um, They're not starting their own private practice. They're kind of like walking into a practice that has already established a referral network. So... If it depends. Again, a lot of this is, it depends, it depends, it depends. But it really does depend. You have to ask yourself too, I want a private practice, but do I know what it actually takes to, to do that? And make sure if you go into that, you are talking to a lot of people about what they did, the advice they would give, and how they can help you in your area. Because again, a lot of private practice building relies on building a network of people, whether that's just other therapists or if it's doctors, nurses, dietitians, people in the area that work in the field. Next question, how long did it take to get licensed? Any advice on how to do this the most efficient way? Oh my gosh, the most efficient way is to be organized and I was not. (laughs) For LPCs, you have between two and five years to get licensed. It took me around two and a half, three years to actually get my license And I actually had it good because I got a lot of free supervision when I worked um, at a treatment center. That's the other thing. When you work at a program, uh, a lot of times a perk they offer is free supervision. I did not realize how beneficial that was because, man, supervision is expensive if you have to pay for it on your own and you need a lot of it. So it depends, again, how long it's going to take you to get licensed, how many supervision hours you're getting and how many client hours you're getting every single week. I got tons. If I would have stayed at the treatment center longer, I would have probably been licensed in exactly two years. So the advice I would give you, stay really organized, take notes and and document every single supervision session you have to the best of your ability. I would also say, take the test that you have to take as soon as possible, because if the longer you wait, the more you're going to have to go back and study. So when those are available for you to take, take those and kind of just like get that part out of the way keep any certificate, keep anything that somebody gives you in a special folder. Because when it was time for me to get licensed, I had to dig through so much stuff. I had to like go back and ask people to send me things. I mean, it was a lot of work that could have been taken away and eased if I just like kept records of this weekly. And it's really not that hard. I just, as a human being, I'm not the most organized person, (laughs) which I've talked about before. So that would be my advice. Four, we already talked about what's the difference between MFT and LPC. Five, can you diagnose clients? Can a therapist do that? Do you have to get something special? I can diagnose clients. My license, I have MLPC dash MHSP, mental health service provider. So in Tennessee, we can get this part of our license. It comes with being a licensed therapist in Tennessee, where we do have the ability to diagnose clients. 
not every license, whether it's an MFT, LPC, or social worker, has the ability to do that. So it just depends on what you're actually going after, MFT, LPC, social worker, where you live, what state, and how your state does their stuff. It might just be a matter of an extra test. Maybe your state doesn't let you do that. It depends. I just know Tennessee because that's what I'm concerned with. And it's actually really helpful and kind of necessary, especially if you were going to take insurance. You have to be able to diagnose clients to be able to do that kind of stuff in private practice. In if you're working at a treatment center, you don't have to really worry about that. I'm going to skip number six. I'm going to tease you with it and I'm going to skip it because we don't really have time for it today. I got a version of this a couple times in the question box that I asked on Instagram and it's how did becoming a therapist affect your personal relationships? And I'm going to hold on to that one because that could be a whole episode in itself, but stay tuned. Know that I'm going to answer that one if you're one of the people that asked it. And then number seven, how do you learn about the different types of therapy and decide what you want to specialize in? For example, art therapy, music therapy, adventure therapy, experiential therapy, trauma, eating disorders. And my answer to you is again, experience. I cannot stress how much the experience of this means because I did not know what experiential therapy was. I did not know what adventure therapy was. I didn't know what any kind of anything was until I was like in it and seeing it with my own two eyes. I would have never been an adventure therapist and had that really awesome experience doing that for six months if I didn't work at the treatment center that I was working at that offered that. would have had no idea what it was. And so one, you might go into your program. You might already know what you want to work with. And I would say, keep an open mind because that might change. I thought I was going to work with a very specific population and that changed a little bit as I moved through my program and moved through like just my professional career. And now that's shifting again of I'm seeing less eating disorders, although it's still the thing that I specialize in and more of some other kind of stuff. So I would just say, how do you learn about it? You listen to podcasts, you get a good internship, you talk to other therapists, you pay attention in the world of therapy and you say yes to opportunities. I went to a training recently and I didn't know if I was actually going to use what it is that I was in the training for and it's actually something that I really love. And so say yes to opportunities, keep an open mind. Experiential therapy, I did not think I was going to be a big experiential person and then I kind of threw myself in the fire and I learned that, wait, I really like this. I really like metaphor. I really like getting the body into things like somatic therapy. Like I was like, this seems weird and then you get into it and you kind of play with it a little bit and you're like, wait a second. This actually makes sense to me. So you just say yes to opportunities. You go to trainings. You create a network of people in the field that you can learn from and gain insight from. And hopefully that leads you to something that you really like and and, and gels with you. Because not all therapists are going to like the same things. Like there's plenty of therapists that do EMDR and they're so good at it and they're amazing. I don't really like EMDR, so I'm not, I don't do that. I really like brain spotting. Those are two types of trauma therapy. So 
does that mean I'm never going to go take an EMDR training? No, I probably will do it in the future just to gain that experience and learn about it. But also it doesn't mean that I have to use it. Like just because I don't use that doesn't mean I'm not a good therapist. And just because somebody isn't an experiential therapist doesn't mean that they're not a good therapist. So just allow yourself to kind of learn, be open-minded, and then allow yourself to settle into like what makes sense with you and how you want to work. Also, depending on the population you want to work with or you end up working with, different things are going to be better or worse for that or make more sense for that. So we got through all questions except, well, I didn't use all of the questions, so maybe we will do a part two, but that number six question, we'll come back to it eventually. And that is going to do it for this episode of Couch Talks. If you are somebody who is looking into this, I'm excited for you to even be thinking about it because I can't tell you how cool of a job this is and sometimes I'm like wait this is literally what I do for a living this is so cool I still get excited about it so I'm excited that you guys are even thinking about it if you are and yeah that's going to do it for couch talks I am actually tomorrow while you're listening to this if you're listening to this on the Wednesday it comes out I will be on a flight to New York City to spend a couple days there and do some work things, also do some fun things. So I'll be having the day I need to have. I hope you guys are also having the day you need to have. I will be back with you Monday for Uni Therapy, and I will talk to you later. Bye. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.